Well, this morning, I want to preach to you a message entitled, Who I Wish I Was. Who I Wish I Was. Has anybody here ever wished that they were somebody else? Have you ever been jealous of what other people have and you looked at them and said, man, if I could just be that person, man, my life would be complete. If I could just look like her or if I could do what he can do, then man, I would be so happy and I would be so fulfilled in my life. I think that if I was to put together the perfect person for me, this might not fit you, but for me, this is what it would look like. I would want to play the keys like Corey Henry. I would want to sing like Michael Bolton. Not Now let me point something out to you right here, okay? This, this is not current Michael Bolton. This is 80s Michael Bolton right here with the hair and the earring. That's what you got to go with if you're going to go Michael Bolton. I wish I could perform like Justin Timberlake. And I wish I could preach like Stephen Furtick from Elevation. I wish I had the bank account of Bill Gates. Hello. I wish I had athleticism like LeBron James. I wish I had a sense of humor like Jim Gaffigan. And, and last but certainly not least, I wish I looked like Ryan Gosling. Hello. My wife somewhere said, praise the Lord. <laughs> but as you can tell, I don't. I look like a few of Ryan Gosling <laughs> put together. Hey, let me just tell you, don't ever, uh, if you have low self-esteem, don't ever look back at that uh, TV back there when you see yourself on camera and realize, man, I got to quit eating so much food. I really do. At some point, you just got to quit. You just got to eat a few more salads. Hello. It's not going to happen. I'm just, I'm kidding. I'm not, I'm not even kidding myself. I'm not going to eat a salad. <laughs> but in our world today, there is, there is really such an epidemic of people who don't know who they are. People who don't know who they are and they, as a result of that, they wind up wanting to be someone else. Men wanting to be women, women wanting to be men and everything in between. People, have you ever heard somebody say, well, I'm, I'm going to go off on this big adventure so I can find myself. They're trying to find out who they are. People sleeping with the same sex, the opposite sex and everything in between because they are quote unquote confused. People in our world and in our culture are so lost because they don't know their identity that they are willing to go to the extremes like physically removing and adding body parts in order to be somebody or something they think they were created to be. The greatest argument against transsexuality, and I say this out of love and because it is the truth, I don't say this out of hate. The greatest argument against transsexuality, especially for those people who, while in the midst of this, believe that they are a Christian if you acknowledge that God is the creator of all things and you say that he is a perfect God, then it is a slap to his face to say the body that you put me in, God, is wrong. It's a mistake. You as the creation cannot tell the creator that he messed up. You are the creation. Only the creator gets to choose and label who and what you are. And not only that, he created you in his own image. So when you would try to change anything about yourself, you are saying, God, your own image is a mistake because that's not who I'm supposed to be. Let me tell you something. God doesn't make mistakes. He knows exactly what he's doing. 
He is the creator. He is all perfect God. All you hear about now on the news, every other commercial you see is about uh, protecting you from identity theft. Has anybody in here been a victim of identity theft? Somebody tried to steal your identity? I'm sure that people have tried to steal mine and they they looked at my bank account and said, it's not even worth this. Let's move on. <laughs> Ooh, help us, Jesus. People are killing themselves all the time because they look around and they see what all these other people have and they think they'll never be able to be or have things like other people. And as a result, they think the best way out is to end their life. The example that I want to draw from today in this message, who I wish I was, I want to look at the life of Jacob. Jacob and Esau, it's a familiar story to most of us, I'm sure. If you have your Bibles or your tablets, your iPhones, click or turn with me to Genesis chapter 25. We'll start in verse 19. Let me give you a second. Genesis 25, 19 through 34. This is what it says. This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethel, the Aramean from Padan, or from Padan Aram, and the sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on, his, on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Verse 24, when it came time for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her room. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so his name was Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up. Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of open country, while Jacob was content to stay home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That's why he's also called Edom. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is a birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some little stew he ate and drank, then got up and left. Last verse. So Esau despised his birthright. Esau despised his birthright. Let's pray. Father, we know that your word is already anointed, but Lord, I pray that you would anoint my heart, anoint my lips to speak your heart and your words, Father. Anoint our ears to receive and our hearts to receive, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' precious name, and everybody said, amen. So we see that the struggle of Jacob, possibly you could say he wanted to be someone else, started in the womb, coming out grasping the heel of his brother. They named him Jacob, and that meant holder of the heel. Jacob wanted to be first. He probably wanted to be first because he wanted the birthright. He wanted the blessing. He wanted to be Esau. Their prenatal striving foreshadowed later conflict. 
So what is a birthright? Real quick, let me tell you what the birthright is and why it is significant. The word birthright, it, it, the word denounced the special privileges and advantages belonging to the firstborn son among the Jews. He became the priest of the family. The firstborn had allotted to him also a double portion of the prenatal inheritance or parental inheritance. The firstborn inherited the judicial authority of his father, whatever that might be. And the Jews attached a sacred importance to the rank of firstborn and first begotten as applied to the Messiah. As firstborn, he has an inheritance superior to his brothers and is alone the one true priest. The younger of the two would be subject to serving his elder brother. So that's why the birthright to them was so sacred and important. So you look back at verse 21 and see Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she couldn't have a baby. Then the Lord answered his prayer and gave them a baby. And look what it says right here. Two nations are in your womb and two people from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other. The older will serve the younger. The significance of that verse is this. Even though Jacob was born with all kinds of security and identity issues, the Lord had already declared that he would be stronger and greater than his brother. The Lord had already declared that, that Jacob, even though he wasn't the oldest, he wasn't going to be the one doing the serving, but his, younger, his older brother was going to be the one serving him. So he was fighting so hard for something that had already been declared and prophesied over him. The birthright was Esau's by birth, but it was Jacob's promise from God. The birthright was Esau's by birth, but it was Jacob's by promise from God. In theology, there's an expression of the Hebrew language known as Hebraism. It demonstrates that what is fixed in the mind of God is already accomplished, even though sometimes it is far off in the future. What is fixed in the mind of God is already accomplished, even though sometimes it is far off in the future. Somebody in this house today needs to know that your heavenly father has already declared some things over your life. He tells us in Jeremiah, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper and not to harm. Plans to give you hope and a future. In Romans, he tells us that we know in all things that God works for the good of those that are in Christ Jesus and called according to his purpose. Touch your neighbor and tell him, I'm called according to his purpose. In Joshua, he tells us, not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you, all will come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. Never one time has a promise of God failed me. Never one time has the things that God has declared me and destined to be when I walk in my calling and I walk in who God has called me to be, not one time has his promise ever failed me. Your heavenly father says about you today that you are loved, that you are set free, that you are healed, you are delivered, you are his friend, you are his child, the apple of his eye. You are alive in him. You are joint heirs with Christ and you are his own. If you believe it, say amen. Maybe that thing that you're trying so hard to do in your own strength and your own ability is already done in the mind of God. 
And he's wanting you to stop trying to do it in your time and in your strength and you let him be God and do it in his time and his strength. I found that's always better. (laughs) It's always better to depend on God than on yourself. Jacob, man, if he would have just lived his life being who God wanted him to be, he could have saved himself so much heartache and running because the thing he wanted so badly was already prophesied and declared over him. Jacob thought that that birthright was the most important. Jacob thought, if I could just have that double portion of inheritance, that'll make me happy. If I can have all that's promised to my brother Esau, then maybe I'll be happy and I can be fulfilled there. Meanwhile, the Lord had already declared the things that you want so badly are already declared over you. Let me tell you something. God's plan for you is always greater than what you think you want. His plan is always greater than what you have in your mind. He will always do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or think. But we see in Scripture what most likely caused a lot and fueled Jacob's issues and his insecurities that would cause him to want to be somebody else. It says in verse 28, Esau was loved by Isaac, his father, but Jacob was loved by Rebekah, his mother. Inside every human being that has ever existed, there is a desire to be loved by their father. God set up the design of a family to include a father figure. Even Jesus Christ himself had an earthly father that taught him and showed him how to be a man. So you can imagine this only added to the desire of Jacob to be like or be Esau. I'm sure Jacob, like everybody else on the face of the planet and throughout history, wanted the love and approval of his father. Some of you can relate to what I'm about to say more than others can. But you can see how Jacob's issue of wanting to be like or wanting to be his brother was fueled from an early age because you know that Jacob felt the sting of not being able to provide what his father wanted. You know that he felt the sting not being able to provide what his father wanted. He didn't have the skills that Esau did to receive the affirmation of the ones who was most important to him. Just like Jacob, when that happens in your life, you start to create all these devices for yourself to try to hide behind. In psychology, they call this abandonment issues. They say that when you have abandonment issues, that it can happen through divorce, abuse. It can happen through love withheld or a circumstance that is so deeply embedded in you that you can't even remember what it is. They say that when you have abandonment issues, that you go through one of two extremes. You either attach yourself to things or you avoid things. So it's like the person that, sleeps with everybody they can because they have this desire to be loved and they think that's what it is. Or you have the person that that gets in these relationships and about two or three months in, when they feel like they've let somebody in too close, they start to push them away and they will eventually push them out of their life because they're trying to avoid being hurt like they had before. Could it be that Jacob, even in the womb, had abandonment issues? We see he was already attached to something when he came out of the womb. That's why they called him the holder of the hill. Let me say this. 
Don't you dare live your life always being attached to the heel of somebody else. Don't you dare live your life always being attached to someone else or riding someone else's coattail. There is no greatness in that because God said that you would be the head and not the tail. When you operate in who he's called you to be and what he's told you to do, you won't have to ride on somebody else's coattail. You'll have your own way. So let's pick up the story of Jacob and Esau. When Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die. Esau said, I've been that kind of hungry before. Hello. (laughs) Craving salad. I wasn't. What good is a birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew, and he ate and drank, got up and left. Esau despised his birthright. He despised his birthright. Has it ever crossed your mind that the thing that you are so jealous of, of somebody else, and the thing that you look at in people's lives and say, if I could just have that thing, then I would be complete. Has it ever crossed your mind that they might not give a rip about that thing? Has it ever crossed your mind that they don't put the kind of importance on that thing that you do and it's not even your life? Jacob or Esau was willing to sell his birthright for some soup. Look at the picture of this soup. He, now, that does look pretty good. I ain't going to lie to you. <laughs> Let's be honest here. But think about that. He was willing to give up something that was so precious because he wanted to eat. The thing that caused Jacob to want to be Esau so bad All the jealousy, all the jealousy, all the identity crisis, Esau sold it to him for some soup. I think if God ever allowed us to be the person that we wanted to be like somebody else, if he allowed us the opportunity to get to live that person's life and have the things that that other person have, I think eventually we would do whatever it took to get back to who God created us to be in the beginning. Those things that we think are so appealing about other people and, and things that they have, the things that makes us so jealous for someone else. It might make you happy for a while, but I dare say to you this. I believe that there are things that in, in your life that you are so jealous of of other people and you covet so badly that they have. I believe if you ever attain those, it would probably lead to your downfall. That if you ever attain these things that these other people have that make you so insecure and so jealous, that if you ever attain those things, I would probably say eventually that's going to lead to your downfall. Because you don't know what all comes along with having those things. Let's take a look back at some of those people that I talked about at the beginning. Let's say that I did have the kind of talent that Corey Henry had that I could sit down and just destroy a piano because I'm so talented. What Would I still be in church today? I might not even be in church today because I'm off playing around the world somewhere. Maybe I wouldn't have a relationship with God. If I could sing and perform like Michael Bolton and Justin Timberlake, would I still even be a Christian? Because of where that talent would have taken me. If I had the money like Bill Gates does, would I know what it's like to depend on God to be my source? If I could play like LeBron James, think about the kind of jealousy that I would cause on Tuesday nights at the basketball league over here when I was dunking on everybody. (laughs) Think about if I had the kind of humor like Jim Gaffigan. 
I do a little bit, I hope. <laughs> He's on, you know, yeah. But think about if I had that kind of humor, would I, would I, where would I be today? Because that's not who God called me to be. And Lord, God help us if I look like Ron Gosling. Man, it's so hard for me now as good looking as I am. Imagine if I was Ron Gosling. Help us, Lord. You don't ever realize the things that come along with the ability and with the, the calling that other people have. You don't want that. Sometimes what's so appealing to you, that other person would do anything they could to get rid of it. So if you keep reading the story, you eventually see that even though Jacob gets the birthright, it wasn't enough. He wanted to take Esau's blessing as well. So Jacob and his mother devised a plan to make this happen. She cooked Isaac's, Jacob's father, his favorite food. She put on Jacob Isaac's favorite clothes that Esau wore because Esau was a hairy fella. You know it's bad when the Bible, like, notes things like that about, like, it calls people fat in the Bible and it says people are hairy. You better watch out if you were born in the Bible days or they're going to tell tales about you. He was a hairy fella, so she fastened goat hair to Jacob's arm. Now, let's think about this for a minute. Look, look back in your life. What good has ever come of anything that you had to deceive your way into? On your job, what good is it going to do when you have to deceive your way into a position? Or you have to deceive your way into something at your school or at your home? It's never going to work out the way that you think. Let me just save you some heartache. You can look, smell, taste, and feel like every like somebody else, but that doesn't mean that you have their calling, gifting, and anointing. So Jacob gets what he thinks he wants. The Bible said he rode off in the sunset happier than he'd ever been before, and nothing bad ever happened to him again because he got what he wanted, the end. Thank the Lord. <laughs> Hello, that's not how it goes. So right after Jacob stole not only his birthright, but now the blessing, Esau comes in and asks for his father's blessing. If you know the story, the Bible says that Isaac was so old he couldn't see, so he, he called Esau in and he said, hey, I'm about to kick the bucket, but before I do, I want to give you your blessing. Why don't you run off and make me some food? He was a smart man. He knew he'd get some food out of it. Why don't you go get me some food and come back and I'll give you your blessing? So as you know, Rebecca overhears this and gets Jacob and says, hey, let's get you this blessing as well. Well, mom, I'm, Esau's hairy. I'm not even hairy. They put the goat hair on and they, she fixed his favorite food. So Jacob goes in pretending like he is Esau. And Isaac was so blind, he didn't know. Poor man. <laughs> Don't be blind in the Bible either. It's bad. So he comes in and, and Jacob, or Isaac gives Jacob Esau's blessing. And then after that, he walks away, and Esau comes in with this stew that he's cooked. He comes in expecting this blessing. He says, all right, Dad, I'm here now. Let me get my blessing. And the Bible says that Isaac shook violently and asked the question, well, who did I just give the blessing to? Esau realized that his brother Jacob had taken it, and this is what he said. This is the second time that Jacob has taken advantage of me. First, he takes my birthright. Now he has taken my blessing. 
Genesis 27, 41 says this, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing of his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near, are near, that's my name. Then I will kill my brother. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. You ever been so mad you wanted to kill somebody? I haven't. I'm a Christian. <laughs> I have. So immediately Jacob takes off in fear for his life. Now, for the next possibly 20 years or so of Jacob's life, you can imagine that he is constantly having to look over his shoulder for his brother. Have you ever done something that you, man, you knew you were going to get caught? Like you knew without a doubt that somebody was going to find out. And so you always kind of look over your shoulder. You always have that feeling like today could be the day that it all goes down. Has anybody ever done anything like that? Imagine 20 years of this, that you know your brother is out to kill you because you've taken two things that are so precious from him and he's out to kill you. So the rest of your life is going to be spent looking over your shoulder. Why don't you save the time and just do right? (laughs) Don't have to deceive your way. Don't steal from people. He's always looking over his shoulder. So you know the story. He goes to his uncle Laban's house works for seven years and what he thinks is going to, he's going to get the hand of Rachel for marriage, but he wakes up on the honeymoon. This, this would truly be a horrible experience. If you think about you wake up the next morning on your honeymoon. Ah! I mean, I woke somebody up. I know I did, but you think about that. You turn over, you're like, who, who are you? (laughs) Some of you might've had that experience. Help us, Jesus. Who, who are you? He, he found out that he had been deceived. It's not fun when you deceive other people and then they deceive you. It's not fun being the other way around. So in the deep Greek, I can imagine the conversation when Jacob goes down and finds Laban. What the heck, bro? That's deep Greek for you right there. I mean, that's way in the strongest concordance. What, what in the world? So they make another deal. First of all, seven years is a long time to work for somebody just to get married. Hello. Help us. So he said, I'll tell you what, Jacob, you work for me another seven years. You can have Leah and I'll give you Rachel too. So he got two wives in order to work 14 years of his life, all the time looking over his shoulder for his brother. Now, over that 14 years, mind you that Jacob is beginning to get a lot of things. He's beginning to get a lot of possessions. He's got a lot of animals and wives. Maybe I should have said wives first. Wives, animals, children, possessions. He seemed to be doing really well for himself. But there's still that fear that causes him, as you can imagine, to constantly be looking over his shoulder. You see, you can't hide behind your possessions to hide your issues in your past. You cannot use your possessions and your things to hide the issues and the things of your past. Fast forward 20 years or so, some believe that Jacob was around 97 years old when this next event occurred in his life. So here's Jacob. He spent his life hiding from his brother. He's about 97 years old, and now it's time to face him. The Lord tells him, I want you to go face your kinsman. It's time to face the thing that you ran for for years and years before you can ever be the person that God has called you to be and do the things that he's called you to do, there will come a time when you have to face your past and you have to face your issues. 
For a lot of people, even in this room today, God has forgiven your past and God has healed you of your issues, but you haven't let it go yet. You still struggle with your past, even though God has not only forgiven you, but he's forgotten it, but you haven't. And that's a great source of pain in your life. There's freedom for you in this house today. Because God says that you are an overcomer, that you are more than a conqueror. He says greater that it's he that is within you than he that is in the world. You don't have to hide from things when you are a child of God. So we pick up the story here in Genesis 32. Jacob also went on his way. The angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is the camp of God. So he named the place Mahinam. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Sire, the country of Edom. He instructed them, this is what you are to say to my Lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban. I have remained there till now. I have cattle and donkey, sheep and goats, male and female servants. Now I'm sending this message to my Lord that I might find favor in your eyes. He's doing a little sucking up there saying, my, hey, my Lord. When the message uh, when the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau. Now he's coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. Uh, you can probably imagine the terror that he felt. You know, like when you find out something real bad and your stomach just goes in knots? That's probably what our boy Jacob was feeling right here. So seven, in great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, the flocks and the herds, the camel as well. He thought if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. Verse 9, then Jacob prayed, O God, my father of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you said to me, go back to your country and relatives and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown to your servant. I only had a staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come attack me and the mothers and the children. But you have said... I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. Skipping down to verse 19. He also instructed the second and the third and all the others who followed the herds. You are to say the same thing to Esau when you meet him and be sure to say your servant Jacob is coming behind us. Note this right here. Pay attention to this. Your servant Jacob is coming behind us for he thought I will pacify him with these gifts I am sending on ahead. Later when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. What's he saying right there? He's saying, if I show him that I have enough stuff, and if I show him that I have enough possessions, he might think that I have become somebody and I can still hide behind these possessions. How often do we do that in our life? How often do we put out this persona of, well, I drive a nice car, I have a nice house, you should see how green my grass is, I've got it all together, there's nothing wrong with me. But we, we stand behind all these things that we think are so important. If it can make him think that all these gifts and riches are a reflection of me, then he'll think that those things are who I am. So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him, but he himself spent the night at the camp that night, Jacob got up, took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 sons across the fort of the Jabbok. After he sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When he saw the man, saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip. That's how you know he was old, because it just took a touch of the hip. So he touched Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. 
Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. I'm Jacob. I'm the one that's been the deceiver. I'm the holder of the hill. That's, that's who I am. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans, and you have overcome. The struggle for Jacob was real. <laughs> The struggle for Jacob was real. He had struggled his whole life with this identity crisis and this issue, all because of his, a choice that he made back when he was younger. So he struggled with that, and now he finds himself, right before he's going to face his brother, he struggles with who the Bible just calls the man. He struggles with the man. The angel of the Lord who is often identified as God. That's who we believe that man was. God himself. But think about this. What a weird, what a weird way to end a fight. I've been in a few fights in my life, and the thing that I was not thinking, I promise you, after I got done with the fight, is giving the guy a new name. Well, I might have called him some some new names. Hello. <laughs> but this is what happens after the fight. He says, What's your name? I'm, I'm Jacob. I'm the deceiver. I'm the holder of the hill. I'm the one with all these issues, but I have all this stuff that I'm going to try to show my brother so that he thinks that that's who I am now. I've become something. I'm I'm somebody. Then God says, that's not going to be your name anymore. Your name is now Israel because you have struggled with God and with man and you have overcome. That's a strange thing to change somebody's name after a fight like that. But it's not so strange if you think about it in the context of what was really happening. Because in the Hebrew culture, the father always got to name the baby. Only the father had the right to name the child. The woman got to have the baby. She got that experience. But the father got to name it. And there are people in this house today that you are wearing names that your father never gave you. You are wearing names that your father never gave you. You see, only the one who created you can put a label on you and tell you who you are. Only your creator can do that. You don't have to go by what the world tells you you are. You don't have to go by what your earthly mother and father might have told you when you were a child that has so greatly affected you that you feel like you've never been able to do anything or get past that issue. Let me tell you something, sir or ma'am, you don't have to wear the label of that molestation that happened to you when you are, when you were a child. I'm telling you, you are a child of the most high God and you are only who he says you are. Only the one who created you gets to put a label on you. Only the one responsible for your presence here on this earth gets to tell you who you are. Too many of us have been wearing name tags that don't describe your destiny. You've been trying to be this person that God never intended you to be. You are missing out on so much of what God has for you, all because you're trying to be and do something that God never intended you to do and be. There's not one person in this room that hasn't had to wrestle with their calling at one point or another. Whether I'm not talking about whether you're called in the ministry or not. I'm talking about the reason that God put you on this earth. We've all had to wrestle with that at one point or another. 
But my prayer to you today is that you would leave that struggle knowing the label that your heavenly father has put on you. That you would walk out of this room today, not with the label of I'm defeated because all the issues and all the junk that I have in my past. That you wouldn't walk out of here today with the label of, well, I'm sick and I'm never going to be able to be cured. But you would walk out of here with the label that says that by his stripes, you are healed. That you wouldn't walk out of here with the label of depression over your life today. But you know that the power and the blood of Jesus has come to wash all of those things away that have depressed you and oppressed you for all of these years. There is freedom in this house today because your heavenly father says, I don't care what anybody else says about you. I'm your father. I created you. I loved you. I have called you by name. Even in your mother's womb, I knit you together and I formed you to be the person that I called you to be. We need to start walking in the authority that God has given us in our lives. I want you to stand with me this morning. Jacob walked away with a new name, but that's not all he got. He walked away with a limp. That limp would remind him the rest of his life for all the years that you used to run on your own ability and your own strength. You ran for years and years away from your issues and your past. Now every time the man walked, he had to have assistance. He probably had to have a walker. And you can imagine every step that he took was a reminder that man, you know what? I don't have to run anymore. I can't. <laughs> I don't have to run anymore. My name has been changed. I am finally the man that God himself has called me to be. I'm not defined by the mistakes and the decisions that I made in my past. I'm defined because of who God says that I am. And he says this morning that you are his own. He says this morning that there is nothing that you could ever do that would cause him not to love you. There's no decision that you could ever make in your life that would have God say, okay, I'm done with you. You just go on about your business. I don't care about you anymore. No, I'm telling you, our God is the God of the first, the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, the hundredth, the thousandth chance. Our God is so merciful. He is so loving. He is so gracious. And I'm telling you today, I'm serving notice on the devil that this is not going to be a place of depression. That this is not going to be a place where people are allowed to come in and be depressed because of things in their life. But when you walk into this sanctuary, that there is going to be such a power and an anointing in this place. That when you walk in, you might fall down on your face because God is changing you. God is taking off all of that junk and bondage that you've kept for years and years. This is going to be a depression-free place. I declare that this is going to be a cancer-free place. We don't have, as a child of God, I, I know that we're sick. I know that we have things in our life that we have to go to the hospital and the doctor for. I'm not negating that, but I'm telling you, God is still the healer. He is still the healer. His blood still flows from Calvary. It is still accessible to us today to wash our sins, to heal our diseases and our sicknesses. This is going to be a place people know who they are in Christ. 
this is going to be that place that you know what you're called to do. Not only that you know it, but you're doing it. Some of you are depressed and you're, you're sad and you don't know why. I'll tell you why. It's because you're not doing what he's called you to do. Today is your day. It is your time to start walking in the authority and the fullness that Jesus Christ has given you. Who you wish you were will always pale in comparison to what your heavenly father already sees you as. Who you wish you were will always pale in comparison to the person that your heavenly father already sees you as, has already declared over your life. Let's pray together. Father, how we love you. How precious you are to us, God. How precious your presence is to us, Lord. How precious we are to you. Today in this place, I want to make just a a very general altar call. Because I know there are people in here that are struggling with things. You, Man, there are people in here, probably a handful of you that the things that happened to you as a child have so deeply wounded you and scarred you that it still affects you. I I would dare say that there's not even a day that goes by when that thought doesn't come across your mind. I'm telling you, you're going to walk out of here with chains today in the name of Jesus. Those of you that you have been forgiven... God has forgotten your past, but you are the one that's been holding on to it. There's freedom for you today. That we can cast our cares on him. You don't have to walk out of here carrying that burden anymore. Lay it down today. There's freedom for you in this house. The worship team is going to lead us in a song. It's called All He Says That I Am. And if that's you, you're struggling today because you don't know who you are. Maybe today you don't like who you are. Maybe you're one of those that you think that God made a mistake. But I don't like who I am, God. I don't like the way that I look. You have such insecurities because of the label that the world has put on you. And because you are so insecure because the label that the world has put on things that they think are important that really aren't important. And you try to measure up to these things that in the scale of eternity don't really matter. Let it go today. You be the person that God himself has called you to be. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you to come. I want you to come. If that's you, you have, you have issues, you have a past that you cannot let go of. This is your time. I want you to move out. Prayer team, I want you to come if you would. I want you to pray with these. Come on, if that's you, you have some issues, you have a past that you're having such a a tough time letting go, I want you to come. Prayer team, if you would, would you turn around and face these that are coming? I loose the chains of bondage in the name of Jesus. I speak freedom and healing in this house today in the name of Jesus. Sir, ma'am, let go of that pride. Let go of that pride and respond to the word that you know God has given you today. 
Come on, there's more. There's more. Lay it down today. There's no reason to wait. There's no reason today to walk out of here with the heaviness and a burden. There's no reason for that. Can I get a couple more ladies to come down and pray, please? Thank you, Jesus. There's this is either an individual or it's a couple together. That there there's been something, I don't know if it's recent, but there's just been this this dark cloud. that's been hanging over you and your family because of something that somebody told you. I don't know if it's a, if it's a report from a doctor. I don't, I don't know what it is. But there's just this dark cloud that's been hanging over you. I'm going to tell you today, you don't have to believe that report. You can believe the report of the Lord. Come on, if you need prayer this morning, you need some... You need some prayer for your issues, for your things, for your past that you can't let go. I want you to come as they lead us this morning.